I'm sure many of you know, I was born in Africa, East Africa. Hakuna Matata. That was the language I heard from very early days. But I grew up in Australia. G'day, mate. That wasn't half as convincing, was it? Beauty Arca. And then I came to London. In fact, in March, February, March, February it will be 50 years ago. Yes, you are suitably impressed. I think you are shocked as you see this young, lithe thing with white dyed hair in front of you. And uh, from that time, as I was involved in dance, I was going to say the dance ministry, but it was, I suppose it was a ministry, but in, in the dance profession, I traveled not only in the United Kingdom, different parts of the world. And then later on, and from that time to this, I had the privilege of traveling to lots of different parts of the world and kind of adopting many, many countries as my own. In a kind of way, you know, in a spiritual burden sense. Je suis sur le point de vivifier les, les églises francophones du monde. That was a prophecy God said he's about to revive the French-speaking nations, French-speaking churches. Deus est fiel. God is faithful. And I can start, I don't speak many languages, but I pick up a few words here and there. And sometimes when I think about those nations, I feel like I belong. I belong in Africa. Nigeria too. <laughs> Not just Kenya. Yeah. God be praised, Titi Lai Lai. You remind me, God be praised forever. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of confused. Where do I belong? Truly, I belong in heaven. Heaven is my home. The world is my parish, heaven's my home. But I wonder if you sometimes feel that you're living in exile. I'm not talking about your nationality, your passport, or your visa, visa status, if you got one. <laughs> I'm talking about this, this earth. Do you really feel at home here, or is there something happening that makes you feel a bit strange? as if you don't quite belong, as if your home is somewhere else. When we look at the world, we recognize there's still enough beauty in the world to recognize that this is God's world. He created it. But we look a bit further and sometimes we, we discern that 
righteousness is not very comfortable here on this planet. We know of the biblical promises that the new heavens and the new earth will come where righteousness will be at home. But right now, righteousness is not at home here on the planet. It's a battle, there's resistance. But we look further and we see that this world also belongs to Jesus because he died for it and he's going to restore it. He's going to trans, uh, trans, transform it. And it's not so much that we are thinking about leaving this planet and going to heaven as much as Jesus is uh, dreaming about leaving heaven and bringing it with him actually to come back to this planet. But there is a sense in which we are living in a society that is very alien to us as believers. We sure are alien to it. It's called a post-Christian society today where Christian believers and Christian organizations are increasingly marginalized and expected to conform to the non-Christian social norms which are being imposed upon us, but not just upon us, but the whole of society. How do we respond to this? God is looking for a people who see themselves not as victimized minorities or people who will cozy up and take sides with the majority, even at the compromise of their own faith and convictions. But God wants us to see ourselves as unique, special residents in what right now might be a foreign world, but nevertheless, we are purposefully positioned and placed by God right where we are on this planet to work for him, to witness to him and for him, and to wait for him when heaven will come down and this earth will truly be our home once again. I'm beginning a short series in the month of January entitled Radical Exiles. Because in some way that's exactly what it is. We, we don't belong here. We are in the world but we're not of the world. We'll see how that this kind of displacement is very necessary and God is in it and he wants us not just to survive in exile but to thrive in exile. You've seen the January revival times and you need to know that all this was done and dusted well before Christmas because of the holiday season. And every time I see it out, I think, wow, we survived another month. We got it out. But then I read the title. It's not called Survival Times. It's called Revival Times. Maybe we could change it to Thrival Times. 
But God wants us not just to survive, but to thrive. The book of Daniel, chapter 11, 32. I'm going to base my series on that. It says, the second half, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So this message is not just a New Year's message for a new year, but really it's to introduce us and to position us for a decade. The 2020s, which we have been anticipating for quite some time. And we're going to see how that the things that are happening now and the things that are coming in the 2020s requires a very special, robust response from God's people. Now is not the time to give in, to go quiet, to keep our heads down. Now is the time to stand up, flourish, thrive, and fulfill the destiny that God has for us. The book of Daniel is set in the 6th century during the time of Jewish exile in Babylon. Now you'll recall that the last century or so before this, God sent many prophets to Judah warning them, if you continue down the path where you're going, you will have so broken our covenant that I will no longer be able to protect you. And indeed, you will have all of the consequences of your lifestyle come upon you. And you will find that even I myself will be absolutely obliged to ensure that you are thrown out of your covenant territory, that you are removed from your covenant temple, and that you'll be placed in a state of physical and spiritual exile. But they said, no, 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 no. God, you allowed the Assyrians to come against the northern kingdom of Israel. Samaria fell, but Samaria is not Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. It's the place where the holy temple is, where God dwells and there is no way that God will destroy his own temple. Then we can do just what we like and ignore him. Ha, ha, ha. That's how they were behaving. But God increased the pressure and, and the intensity and the warnings until finally there was no more time for warning, no more time for repentance. And the Babylonian armies came in 606 BC and took away, first of all, the, the, the royal families and the, the nobility and, and also the vessels from the temple to Babylon. And then a little while later, a second wave of deportees. And finally, in 597, Jerusalem itself was surrounded and totally destroyed. And the temple was destroyed. And the people woke up in Babylon saying, what happened? What do we do now? That time was so pa 
full of pathos and tragedy. I don't know if you recall Boney M by the rivers of Babylon. Remember that song? Oh, you recognized it. How could you from the tune I gave you? And that is taken from Psalm 137. Boney M, I love that song. They they did a good job. But in many ways, it's not a happy song. It's not supposed to be a happy song. Psalm 137 verses 1 through 5 or 1 through 4 says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So it was a crisis. How could they continue to live as faithful Jewish people following the Lord their God? when they were outnumbered, surrounded by gods of Babylon, religions which they did not know, with no rights, no temple, no freedom to worship God, having to live for God in a pagan pagan world, polytheistic environment where God was not being honored. Hmm, sounds rather like January 2020. So can you see the parallel? We are like exiles living in a foreign country. We are strangers and foreigners in this this present world. Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith and not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Here is the hall of fame in faith's role of honor. All those who had gone before, who had stood the test and passed the test and remained faithful, and, and, and they had not received what was promised because they were not looking for a permanent city on the earth. They knew that the promise that God had for them was stored up for them in heaven. But they, were, they remained faithful, even believing uh, when they didn't see it and when it didn't happen to them. This is a wonderful Fact of faith. Faith will give us the ability to hold on to God, not to pull back, but to continue to live for Him, even if we don't see the things that are promised. Because we know when He appears, we shall see them all. Now the word exile sometimes is translated pilgrim. But the word used exile here basically means a foreign resident. Not, not a pilgrim who is like a, a tourist, 
or somebody who's passing through. And that's, that's how many Christians behave. Now, there is a good uh, use of the word pilgrim for the Christian journey. That's another story. But it's not appropriate at this point. Because we don't stay in this world. Okay, all right, it's terrible, but no problem. I'll just keep singing happy songs. I'll keep myself to myself because I'm a pilgrim. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm just passing through. No, the objective of the Christian faith is for believers not to get out of here ASAP, but to stay here as ALAP as long as possible. Because we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. And so we, we are residents. We are strangers, but we are residents. Very important to get the balance right. We are strangers, we're foreigners in this, on this planet because we, we are not of this planet. But we are residents because we are in this planet. Very important. When we ask ourselves, how should we live? And you know, I've been telling you for a while, as we move into the 2020s, we're going to see the pressure turn up. And thank God for answered prayer. Thank God that we're not at the mercy of forces and powers which just happen to have their way. No, no, no. We believe in a God of prayer. And things can still yet happen in this decade to change the, direct, the trajectory of events. Things can happen. It can be different. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It can happen. So what are we supposed to do? Now I imagine that they asked themselves that question. Daniel and his friends, they were, they were actually chosen to be trained in the service of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. They were given very special training, very special treatment. And they are great models of, of what it means to be in exile. Not just to survive, but to thrive. And they understood that it was important to serve in this new kingdom. They understood that they were to remain loyal to God, but fully involved in the life of Babylon. Very difficult to do. But they had that tremendous encouragement from Jeremiah. He was the prophet that had prophesied right up until the exile. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar spared Jeremiah because they said, leave him alone. He told everybody this would happen. But Jeremiah wouldn't stop prophesying. Some of the people from Judah ran away to Egypt saying, oh, we're going to be safe. Jeremiah followed them all to Egypt prophesying, no, you're not. Don't think you're going to get away. God is still not pleased with you. But Jeremiah was also a great intercessor. Jeremiah 29 verses 5 to 7. Jeremiah tells them, he said, now listen, 
When you get there, don't think it's going to be a short time. The false prophets were saying, don't worry, in one year, two years, we'll be back, it's okay, everything's happy. And then Jeremiah said, no, it's going to be 70 years. So you've got to be ready for this. This is what you must do. Jeremiah 29, 5-7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. So you need to invest yourself in that society, in that community. You need to be there because you're going to stay there for a while. You need to be strong there. You need to multiply. I don't think there is a clearer word from God for the people in Kensington Temple today. God wants us to get fully involved in our society, in our community, and in so doing, while we're doing that, multiply. I'm not just talking about husbands and wives and babies. Seems to me you guys are doing a pretty good job of that already. I'm talking about multiplying disciples for Christ. Our cell vision is second to none anywhere in the world when it comes to how we should organize ourselves as a church so that every member in the body of Christ is a servant of Jesus, is a minister of Jesus Christ, is an encourager, is a person who is able to share the word of God and to encourage one another as believers. And the testimonies, we'll see more of them in the vision week, the testimonies are coming in of the high level of pastoral care and nurture that you have for one another. People travel from one end of London to the other just to visit one of their cell members who are sick in hospital. When people are bereaved, the care that is there. When there are issues in marriages and sicknesses and problems, you guys are doing an absolute amazing job. This is one of the aspects of the cell vision and ministry which is flourishing, it's successful and God bless all of you for what you're doing. But the other half of it, we cannot forget. We are supposed to multiply. We are to be evangelists and disciple makers, to break out of our cozy little niches and to move out to reach people who would otherwise never hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ or even more to the point, never see God's love in action apart from through your life. Multiply. We're coming to the final stages of what we call the 2020 vision. And this year, brothers and sisters, mamas and papas, we got to grow and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. Can I have an affirmative amen in the house of God? But there's more. Verse 7 says, not just multiply, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Positive agenda. Stay strong, 
Stay true. Serve your communities. Pray for their welfare and the prosperity. Because by the way, when God blesses them, you will be blessed. This to me is almost like a, like a manifesto of how to th thrive in exile. We don't lick our wounds, feel sorry for ourselves, all miserable and retreat into ever decreasing circles. No, we honor God. We recognize him for who he is, where we are, and we rise up to do what he's called us to do. Now, in the first part of Daniel, we have a lot of examples, and these are extraordinary examples of how Daniel and his friends survived. They, they didn't give in, but, but they didn't unnecessarily stick out. They went with the flow, but remained in touch with God. They learned the language of Babylon, and they knew how to communicate in the language of those that they were seeking to reach. And they knew how to testify to God. And they gave all that they had. And God especially gifted them, particularly Daniel. Daniel was given a gift of interpreting dreams and prophetic insight. In fact, that gift became so developed that from chapter 7 onwards, we're no longer talking about you know, 600 years before Christ in the time of the exile, he sees into the future 100 years, 200 years, right up <coughs> until the coming of Christ, whose coming he predicted, and more than that, the second coming of Christ. So Daniel, his ministry was far-reaching, his vision was far-reaching. But it all began in the marketplace. It began at a time of necessity when the king had a bad dream and wanted it interpreted and, and, and it went on, the stories go on and, and, and how also that he was opposed and, and he was thrown into a den of lions and the lions wouldn't eat him. Why not? God was with him. God picked him up, rescued him, and delivered him. And no lion could touch him because he trusted in the Lord. I think the other side of it, Daniel was quite inedible, I would have thought. As one preacher said, Daniel had so much backbone and was so full of grit that he was unappetizing to the lions. But all the sets of deliverances, the wisdom, the words that God gave. Now, I, I'm not going to do a study on this. Maybe Gordon, one time this year, will give us a, a full Bible study through the whole through the book of Daniel. 
The only thing that I'm starting with today is the understanding that we are, as it were, in exile. We're living in a world that is pretty hostile and it's going to get more hostile. We're living in a part of the world where the ABC of society is we have anything but Christ or Christianity. When there are decisions being taken which will affect us, where we are increasingly being forced to accept as normal and normative things which are clearly not, from any perspective, biological, scientific, at all normal. And yet in the midst of this, God wants us to be a good witness. To love those who are different. To pray for those who are spiritually blind. To care for those who cannot care for themselves. Let it be so that our lifestyle in this decade makes front page news. Let me say that again. Let me just think about that because it was an unintended statement and it could be God. Let it be, Lord God, that the lifestyle of your people in this house and your house all over this nation becomes so praiseworthy, so prominent, so attractive, that it would make front page news. Headlines. For even you, Lord Jesus, said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So God doesn't want us just to adapt to our new environment. We'll know the world's changed. I went shopping yesterday and I can testify to you, the world has changed. This wasn't Christmas shopping. It wasn't post-Christmas shopping. This was stuff I had to get. So I went out and I, I found myself in a whole new world. There were, it was like shops I've never seen before. And I've been around. I only stayed in over Christmas. What's happened? Anyway, I selected what was necessary, just a few garments. Having been directed twice by a very rare person these days called a shop assistant. <laughs> and I went down to see, uh, to the checkout and there was not a human person in sight. But all these rather intimidating robotic machines. So I said, I know about this. I have a contactless card. So I went around waving this around and I, the, the, in front, you had to put the stuff in a box. I put one thing in a box, bleep, and a receipt came out. Everything was charged and paid for with a receipt. Automatically, it's, it's not even like you, you had to do it yourself. It did it for you. You didn't have to scan anything. It scanned you. That's <laughs> true. Has anybody experienced that? Yeah, well, this has been around for some while. 
The world has changed and we have to adapt unless you want to become a dinosaur. No, I'm not a dinosaur. I can adapt, but I don't want to become a cactus. Cactus? Yes. A cactus is an example of one of the plants who've adapted to arid desert conditions. It is a very peculiar plant and quite remarkable in its own way, but I don't want to be like this one. This plant, instead of leaves, which lose moisture, it has prickles. I've survived, but you're prickly. So what? I've survived. That's an example of somebody who's adapting, but not somebody that God wants to see. That is, knowing how not just to adapt or to survive, but to thrive and be relevant and be approachable and be present where God places them to be, to recognize that how, no matter how tough it is, we have the resources in God, the Holy Spirit, to stand up for God and to be counted, and not just to be counted, but to count, and to make a difference in our society, because we're not going anywhere. You know, sometimes we talk about people who die and go to be with Jesus, that they've gone home. Yes? Well, that's right. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come and, and receive you there. <laughs> but it's only half the truth to state that our home is in heaven. It's true, but it's only half the truth. Heaven is our home. Our citizenship is not this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not looking for a, any city on this earth. We are looking for the city of God, which is in heaven. But the rest of the story is this, is that home in heaven, that city in heaven, is going to come down so that this earth and the new heavens will be where God lives and dwells where his kingdom will shine and rule and reign and everything that we've done on this earth for the kingdom of God will not just survive but will thrive in the future kingdom. So don't go anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. And if I go to heaven before you do, I'll be back and so will you. We're coming back to this earth to see Jesus rule and reign in glory. And what that means is this. This planet, this universe is not big enough for both of us, devil. One of us has got to go. And it sure isn't me. It sure isn't us. God has a plan to evict the person and the principalities and the powers and anybody who chooses to join them, it'll be their choice, not God's choice. 
God is going to bring a judgment and a separation so that this planet, this world that was created by God, for God, being hijacked now where we feel exiles in God's own planet are going to be restored, revived and the enemy and the kingdoms of this world are going to be evicted and God's kingdom is going to take over. Don't go anywhere. They are the ones that have to go. We are staying. Now that is almost Genesis through Revelation. Gallop through the Bible today. But I wanted to set this context for you. God has a great project. His grand scheme. We have our eyes on the heavenly goal. We confront everyday life on this present earth as God's radical change agents, thriving in exile, flourishing in difficulty, satisfied by nothing else than the present blessing and future hope of the coming kingdom of God. We can't make it happen, but God will do it and we will be part of it. So now, living as exiles in foreign environment, we have a job to do. We are positioned to be strategic for transformation that is coming to this planet.